it's more challenging. Uh, things take more time, but uh, I don't see um, in investment volume reduced that much. And I think speaking to other investors as well, overall, especially in the early stage market, everyone remains still very bullish in the opportunities. And uh, if you have a great business, then, then funding is no more or less difficult than it would have been maybe a year ago. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Funding a Better Future. This is a new series of bite-sized episodes featuring expert insights from climate tech investors. My name is Cherry. I'm the founder of Above and Beyond Recruitment. We partner with climate tech startups and we help them to scale and grow their businesses, either by recruiting for them and helping them to build out their teams or by offering talent advisory and consulting services throughout their growth journey. This series is aimed at founders and leaders of climate tech businesses, and particularly for anybody who's looking to raise investment this year. Throughout the course of the next few episodes, we aim to give you a realistic picture of what the current investment market looks like for climate tech, as well as some tips to give you the best chances of fundraising success and hopefully a network of contacts that you can approach when the time is right. Today, we are joined by Florian Sharbus from Planet A Ventures. Planet A is an impact investor with a difference. They're the first European VC that has an in-house science team which calculates life cycle assessments to truly quantify the impact of a startup. They pride themselves on investing in bold and brave founders who are going to be the heroes driving our green transformation. And they help them to build out scalable businesses because they really believe that when founders profit, the planet profits too. And it's great timing to have Florian with us because last month, Planet A announced that they'd closed their first fund of 160 million euros to support European startups, which is fantastic news. So Florian, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Cheryl, and thanks for the nice introduction. Um, super, no super happy to be here. Are you happy to kick off, Florin, by sharing a little bit more with us about Planet A, how you operate and, and, and what kind of sets you apart in, in the, the VC market? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Super happy to. I think you uh, already gave, gave a good framing. Um, so we, we just closed our first fund last month. Um, so um, super excited and happy to, um, to explore European ecosystem and invest in, uh, in climate tech founders. Um, we're based in Germany, but we're investing across across Europe and really, as you said, looking for for founders who tackle the the big problems and who kind of like uh, really develop scalable but also systemic solutions to the problems that we uh, that we're facing environmental wise. And as you said, we do that a bit differently than a lot of the other funds in the sense that we we have a science team on board and we really calculate uh, quite quite extensive impact impact assessments for all the investments that we do um, using life cycle assessments, which really give us a a quantitative data point um, of the impact as a let's say second perspective next to the business perspective and we use that that uh, you know impact driven view or perspective as a way to first of all identify founders but second of all then then support them along the journey because if you have a a good and comprehensive overview of the impact you generate that that that's that's very very helpful down the line with you know recruiting marketing but also communicating that impact to other investors um so we found that to be very very useful um for our portfolio companies but obviously also underlining our investment thesis which is you know if we identify the companies that create the most impact then 
there's also a very, very strong correlation with the financial returns that are, that are linked to that if a company is actually, uh, you know, creating real impact rather than greenwashing. Um, and within that, we obviously try to have a very holistic view on things. So instead of just optimizing on CO2 emissions, um, we, we, we incorporate also other dimensions such as waste reduction, resources, um, but also biodiversity concerns in those life cycle assessments that we do to really have a, yeah, a holistic view on the impact. Um, and um, you know, we, we always we always try to think of uh, in terms of planetary boundaries, and then you know, CO2 emissions is one of them. But we're also facing a biodiversity crisis and other issues. So um, we really, really hope with the investments that we do to um, to contribute as much as much as possible uh, towards those as we can. Um, and yeah, have done 15, 16 investments so far across the board, really looking at anything from renewable energy to manufacturing. Um, sustainable chemicals all the way to agriculture carbon markets and um yeah the nature more nature-based side of things um always with a view on um where we can have the the most leverage of our investments fantastic so that's a real breadth then within the portfolio but all driven towards like maximizing impact absolutely yeah i mean it's uh it's our view that if climate tech is not a vertical or an industry by itself right we rather view it as a as a layer which which goes across different industries and um we have to basically decarbonize our whole economy right so um in that sense every every industry and every um every sector is affected by that um and yeah we're trying to uh, tackle there as many different po problems as possible super and so in we'll kind of ask three questions of of all of the investors that are joining us across these series um so so i'll kind of go into the first one of those now and that is that I think macroeconomically, we've had a few challenges over the last few months, right? And, and I know definitely a lot of the founders that I speak to, there's definitely an air of nervousness um, about what that funding landscape looks like for them as early stage founders this year. Um, so I wonder if you could share your perspective on that, Florian, and how optimistic, I suppose, you're feeling about the state of climate tech investment in 2023. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of macroeconomic trends over the, the, or events that happened over the last few months, which uh, you know might give you a, a sense of pessimism for for climate tech. Um, but uh, to 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 keep it short, I think overall we're still very optimistic and 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 positive because we're we're long term investors, right? And I think if you if you see those more more short term. Uh, um, issues that we've that we've seen, for instance, also with Silicon Valley Bank. Now, um, there are obviously challenges. There's obviously you know increased challenges and obstacles. But uh, only speaking for ourselves, that's that's uh, that's not influencing so much in the way that we deploy capital or invest in founders because we we clearly see the the long term opportunity within climate tech, and um, that is not changed by uh, by those let's say circumstances. Um, because uh, none, none of that made the made the climate crisis go away, and uh, you know the energy transition and let's say the the pressure and need to decarbonize around our industries is also not affected by that. So I think um, speaking for us, it's not it's not it's not affecting the way that that we're investing or in any way slowing down the uh, the investment pace that we would we would have. Um, but obviously, it changes a bit the the funding landscape in the sense that um, it overall definitely became a bit more challenging for for founders to to fundraise i mean it's definitely something we've seen in the market um i do think climate tech is less affected by that than other sectors for sure um 
because I think for, as I said, for, because of the long-term trajectory and just the need, the need for climate tech, but also it's, 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 it's been or it proved itself to be a bit more recession proof than other sectors. I think part, part of that came from the fact that the energy crisis definitely gave a big, um, a big boost to, uh, to climate tech investing within Europe, especially within the energy sector, um, where you know energy efficiency measures and also shifting to alternative energy sources also, you know, didn't only come with a sustainability uh, um, aspect, but also came with uh, with uh, you know political independence or and, and geopolitical concerns, um, and also a huge cost advantage, right? So I think um, that's why we overall remain remain very optimistic. Um, Likewise, with the, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank has been one of the, the largest funders of, of climate tech companies when it comes to you know, non, non-equity instruments. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we even that, I would say it's, it's more of a short-term issue because long-term, there's just a great opportunity to support those companies. And we really believe it's the, the biggest investment opportunity that we have over the next decades. So um, we will see other, other players um, emerging and, and taking that spot um besides that i think the uh, you know the the follow-on financing for climate tech companies has anyways at least in, in the continental europe been an issue before and i think through that maybe it it uh, it gotten also more more exposure and um, um more, more public more public awareness that that's something we have to work on because the you know the fundraising for climate tech companies particularly hardware companies does not follow exactly the same trajectory as you have in classic VC, where you raise an equity round and another equity round and then another equity round. But most of those companies likely need a, a different capital stack than, than going forward, where there's a, a proportion of, of debt or project financing in that. And that, and even even before before the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, has not been properly in place in Europe. I mean, it's emerging and things are happening. But no, well, we're nowhere near where we're supposed to be. Um, so I would even see uh, a positive or a positive aspect to it in the sense that that it, it, it raised awareness that there is a certain a gap in, in the market and that we need to fill it faster than than it had been happen, happening before. Um, but bottom line, I would say um, it's more challenging. Uh, things take more time, but uh, I don't see. Um, in investment volume reduced that much and i think speaking to other investors as well overall especially in the early stage market everyone remains still very bullish in the opportunities and uh, if you have a great business then then funding is no more or less difficult than it would have been maybe a year ago i would say good well hopefully that will offer some you know much needed reassurance perhaps to, to some people out there that were feeling a little nervous about what the market like might look for them this year and, and you mentioned earlier, Florian, that you very much see climate tech, right, as being almost a layer sitting above lots of different areas mm-hmm. that need decarbonizing and need addressing. Are there any of those particular subsectors that you or the, the broader team at Planet A are particularly excited about this year? Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, in, in general, um, as, as I said before, we're really looking to, to decarbonize our economies. So um on on a higher level i think the uh, the bigger the the problem in an industry is to decarbonize and uh, the more difficult it is for incumbent players to do that i think the more opportunities there are for startups um likewise on on waste production for instance when thinking about packaging etc so i think if if you look at it from a problem perspective where, wherever it's it's more difficult to 
to shift to transit uh, to sustainable options the, 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 there there's more opportunities for startups i think on a on a higher level um it's that's kind of like a bit of a framework that uh, that that we use or that i use um and within that i think the, the opportunities or the problems are countless right i mean um we're, we're we're not making as much progress in the energy transition as we should be um we're also decarbonizing our industries just takes a lot of time and a lot of investments so overall i'd say um we're, we're bullish about nearly every single sector that uh, that within that within within what you would say what you would consider climate tech um and um yeah but 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 looking for cases which which you know really also make economic sense for customers i think um it's uh it's uh, it's uh, from a macroeconomic perspective companies don't buy just something just because it's sustainable i mean um so really looking for uh cases which offer cost advantages or at least a a clear path to to price parity by by um, you know scaling and uh, bringing technology costs down um, or um, offering val uh, value proposition in other ways right so and, and finding kind of like customer segments that are that are willing to pay for that um, and if it comes about specific subsectors I mean um, there's that there's a lot I could mention probably um, we are and have been always a very excited about um about about the chemical industry um there's there's a huge need to to decarbonize there and it's 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 very very challenging because basically a, lo a lot of the of our daily lives is based on hydrocarbons um and uh, and fossil fossil based uh products if you look um yeah at at, at all, all the day-to-day -day products you're using from um from the fuel for your cars and the chemicals that made up make up uh, your day-to-day -day product, so we see we see big opportunities there um, to to really to really help have companies decarbonize. Um, for instance, did one investment in a company which is producing green methanol, um, which is one of the most promising ways to decarbonize shipping, for instance, because um, it's very very hard to electrify you know large freight ships, so they need other alternatives, um, and they basically developed a new catalyst to um, um, to produce uh, uh, green methanol at scale uh, um, cheaply and sustainably, um, and they need as, the, as, the, as an input, you know, CO two and, and hydrogen. Um, so, so I think the whole, whole whole green chemical space is something we look into. We look into quite a lot. Um, also, when it comes to decarbonizing heavy industry, cement is always a big topic. Um, I think even I, when I heard the number initially, I was surprised that cement is responsible for over eight percent of, of global emissions, right? And it's a, yeah. it's actually the the material which is most widely used after water uh, on this planet, which is, which is just uh, tremendous if you think about the scale of the of the problem. And it's it's very it's very CO two intensive the the process um, the process of producing cement. So to um, to shift to more alternative or to more sustainable alternative cement production. Through new materials, um, through um, increased efficiency in the processes, but also through carbon capture um, in, in in the existing plants. So there's there's different ways of of tackling that. Um, but really, really excited about. I mean, yeah, there's going to be a mix of solutions. So really excited about different different fields within the within the cement cement space that can really have have scalable impact um, and also reduce costs for uh, for the cement producers, which then is always. Uh, a very very strong value proposition um so that i think is the second topic area i would i would highlight um and there's a third topic area i mean um it's an, it's an ongoing topic um of course it's the the whole whole nature-based solutions and also carbon removal side of things um because um 
as I said before, we, we tend to look at things very holistically, right? And uh, yeah. one, one of the things that, that, that we need to do is protecting the natural resources that we have and uh, really stop deforestation and make sure that we, that we protect the natural environments that we still have, both from a CO2 perspective, because they are large CO2 um, sinks, but also from a biodiversity perspective. So um, the whole carbon market and climate finance topic is still something that we, that we extensively look at. Um, and see see a lot of problems in the market, right? Because it's a very it's a very intransparent, very opaque market, um, and uh, there's a lot to be done to really ensure quality and integrity in the market by uh, developing measurement, verification, reporting solutions, by really cutting out a lot of the middlemen in the market, and by really making sure that we channel more financing to those uh, nature conservation projects that are very important. Um, Likewise, on the on the carbon removal side, um, I think you know the decarbonization is one thing, but all the climate models that that uh, that we base our assumptions on, they all already have quite strong predictions on on carbon removal built in, right? So at this point, it's not a question of you know we might be have to have to remove CO two on top of of decarbonizing our economies, but it's more of an imperative actually that we have to scale up the carbon removal industry. Um, which is a huge challenge, of course. Um, I think some someone someone told me that you know, I've, based on the climate scenarios, we basically have to rebuild the entire oil and gas industry to uh, remove this, the amount of CO two we need to remove to um, to build up uh, or, or to reach our climate goals. So that that, that basically means that it's. It's a tremendous challenge, um, but also, you know, creating lots of opportunities for companies to find very cost-effective, um, energy-efficient ways to remove carbon um, and store it permanently. Um, so I think that's also something we uh, we look into quite a lot, um, and, uh, and 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 hope to see more more companies in the space emerging and more technologies um, coming up that uh, address some of the challenges you still see in the market. So I think that's. That's you know some of the topic areas that we that we have an increased focus on at the moment um, beyond what you would usually look into um, like you know scaling up renewable energy production um, with that also ensuring more sustainable mining practices because I think as a lot of you guys might know but uh, our energy transition take up a lot of minerals and metals um, so yeah. also. Um, decarbonizing and uh, and having more sustainable mining options is something we're, we're excited about and obviously food as a as another topic area so i mean as you see it's very hard to kind yeah. of like narrow it down so to, many problems uh, and so little time topic areas <laughs> but um yeah i think uh and within that there's there's there's, there's just too many things to yeah. to work on um, but no that's yeah. a really helpful starting point um so yeah chem chemical chemical engineering chemical manufacture um, carbon removal, nature-based solutions, and then decarbonizing heavy industry as being kind of core areas. And there are certain kind of stages within a company's journey where you feel you're the best fit as an investor to get involved? Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, so we, we invest across pre-seed to Series A um, with slight differences between software companies and hardware companies. So we feel you know, very, very comfortable getting in very early in um, with, with software companies because that's also where our background lies and where we can really add uh, add value from from the get-go. Um, whereas with hardware companies, um, we, we, we prefer or tend to invest a little bit later since we are obviously not a dedicated deep tech fund. So we, we probably could not support founders in the best possible way who still have two years of R&D in the lab in front of them. So um, 
within hardware investments, we we tend to look at, the, at a little bit higher of, of a technology readiness level, so more around four or five, um, where there might where there's you know first first proof points in the lab or at a smaller scale, and then it's about you know building a first uh, a first bigger pilot facility, and then really you know get getting out of the lab and and and, and scaling in at least uh, or up to until like first industrial scale plants. So I think that's definitely where we, we, with the network that we have and the experience that we bring in add a lot of value. And uh, for software companies, definitely a big uh, a bit earlier. Um, and within that, um, as I said, we have a strong network in, in industry and academia and science that, uh, that, that we have in the, in the background of Planet Day that is supporting us and obviously the portfolio founders. Um, and beyond that, have, uh, have our own platform team who support with things such as branding or, or talent and hiring um, and, and connect and connect the founders to the right people there to really, um, you know, also also help with those challenges that you face in, in the early stages. Brilliant. So so that investment, but then that help with the, the journey and the scaling. And, and what advice would you give to any founders that are listening to this today who kind of fit into those areas, right, as, as potential interesting investees for you. Um, what what advice would you give them to kind of give themselves the best chance of, of being successful in raising investment this year? I mean, when, when you're kind of looking at a prospect company, you mentioned impact being very important, but outside of that, what else are you looking at and where can they kind of pull some levers to make themselves as attractive as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question, and I, I don't think there's like a one one size one size fits all answer to this one because obviously every every company has its own kind of like background and its own own kind of like story to it. So and I'm always I'm a bit wary of of like of like of like that's too over too over gener- generic advice, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with some some useful points that might be helpful. I think when when approaching fundraising, um, you know from Especially if you're a first-time founder, it, it it can be very scary because you don't know how this how this world functions and you know what the do's and don'ts are. And and VC to some extent is still a bit of a closed circle where uh, there seem to be certain conventions that that one one, one have to follow. I mean, we I guess as an industry, but particularly as a fund, we try to really break this down as much as possible, right, and make it also easier for um, founders who might not have you know, serial uh, funding experience or who might come out of academia as easy as possible to, uh, you know, to, to get for that. But still, still, it's a challenge, of course. And, and, and what I would say, if you, if you approach fundraising, right, I mean, it's, it, 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 it in the end, is a conversation where I want to learn as much as possible about your technology. Um, and it's not this shark tank style situation where you have to pitch to pitch in front of me. And it's like this very, you know, dramatic kind of like setting. But it's really an opportunity for for the founder to showcase what they're working on and help me to understand what they're building because obviously we're not experts in in everything and uh, and we we just want to learn as much as possible about what you're building so see this more as a maybe not co-creation but certainly like more of a conversation where where, where, where we just want to understand more about what you're doing and then seeing if there's a strategic fit with what we want to reach and the value that we can provide so um, that also means that it's 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 very conversational very network driven um and i'm sure you have or a lot most founders will have someone in network in the network who can introduce them to founders or help them screen the market a bit and seeing who could be the who could be a good fit um and then really start engaging with conversations and there's no 
there's no too early in that sense, right? I mean, even if you just want to reach out and uh, and just have a chat about about certain things, um, and you're not might, might not be fundraising yet, then just just definitely do that because all, all the feedback that you will get along the way from from different investors. Not everything will be valuable, and maybe a lot of it you can discard, but a lot of it will also be be hopefully helpful in, in the way you pitch and present your idea. Um, so I think that that is the first advice on on, on how to approach it. And then um, in the end, I think when it comes to like the the criteria or what uh, you know what 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 we would be looking for, I think there's also you know do some homework and seeing what what the funds really. Uh, Put on the website what maybe other founders say about them because we all have different different ways of looking at things for instance at planet a as i said before we have a very strong strong impact perspective through through the lcas that we calculate so it is it is our let's say ambition to really fund the most scalable and uh, most systemic solutions to problems um, which means that we sometimes have to turn down founders who build great companies but just might not be the exact type of impact that we're looking for right which is not then to say that's a bad company it's just not not our fit um so um i think that's that's useful to know what uh, what what the others are looking for i would say um so that that is a very first advice on, on how to approach it um and then um on, on on the other things i think it's a it's a mix of of different things right i mean if you're a first-time founder um um, looking to raise a pre-seed round, obviously you don't have to have everything in place, right? And we 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 know we know what to what to look for and what not to look for. But besides the impact, the team is definitely the the second big factor that we look into. Um, and uh, what what we see there often, especially with companies come or with teams coming out of academia, is that you know do like a humble self-assessment of uh, the skills you have on the team and really see if uh, if a founding team is actually complete or if you might la- if you might, might be lacking someone right i mean um i think that's that's a problem we see over and over again that uh teams might not not just have the skill set that they need to succeed in that particular market because uh you know it might be that uh, they need someone on the sales side or a commercial side because it's really challenging um to sell into that market or they might just lack someone with engineering skills to actually uh, help them build the, the prototypes. So I would say, you know, doing like a, a, a realistic self-assessment of, of, of the skills that, that you bring in and what you might la- be lacking, I think it's it's very, very important before approaching VCs because I think very few funds would invest in teams that don't have, a let's say, the complete skill set that it needs to uh, to succeed in that market. Obviously, a lot of it you can buy and you hire, but certain key things just have to be present in the founding team for us to invest um that's two uh the the second thing and then i think as a as a third thing um you know we're we're not experts in the technology so um and when you present it to us you have to also have to show us the the market opportunity right and show a bit creativity of uh, what the long-term vision behind that is if you know that's that's something we see oftentimes when founders have great technologies and they worked in a lab for the past few years and they developed something amazing but uh, connecting that innovation that you have to a real problem in the market um, requires some more work than just building a technology because then you really have to turn the technology into a product and I think that's something we see a lot of founders struggle sometimes Um, and there also links back to the team question right so maybe you need someone who who can bring that skill set in and really find the product market fit speak to as many customers as possible to really understand the problems, see what they're looking for, 
and see how you can really connect your technology with uh, with a problem in the market and then you have a product and then you can start selling and i think that's that's that that's sometimes a challenge um or that that we see when uh you know when founders don't really have that in mind then they pitch us a great technology but obviously we want to invest in a great product in the end so we we obviously we can help in that transition but uh the further you are there the the better um and yeah with uh with, with related, related to that there's also the the question sometimes that we get from founders of you know how they can how they can show that that there's actually a need in the market for that right especially if you work on deep tech innovations or maybe hardware companies where it's where you may where you might be far out from commercialization um but there any any signs of of you know customer need is really helpful for us any kind of pcs that you've run any kind of lois that you get from companies um you know any literally any any proof point that there is that there is a need for the technology and also that you have done your homework speaking with a lot of customers and segmenting the market is uh, is helpful for us to to evaluate um and yeah, I think that uh, as a as a I think as a as a quick overview. Um, but I think most yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you, and I appreciate it. It was a big question, so thank you so much for for the detail that you gave there. But um, yeah, so being able to prove that there is a commercial opportunity beyond just an impact opportunity, that you've got a really solid founding team that covers the full breadth of skills that you'll need to take that company forward. And then I really liked that advice you gave there, Florian, at the beginning about how you don't necessarily need to wait until you've got this final polished pitch to go and shark tank style approach investors, but that it's a series of conversations that you can actually start before you need to have them and build those relationships and that network over time. So that's so useful. Florian, thank you so much for your generosity, both with your time and with your knowledge and experience today. I massively appreciate it. And I'm sure anybody listening today will as well. Um, thank you everybody as well for joining us today. If you've missed any of our previous episodes in the series so far, we've spoken to Forward Investments, Nomia and AO PropTech over the last two weeks alone. And we're going to be coming to you live every Wednesday and Friday lunchtime for at least the next four weeks. Um, hopefully bringing you a wealth more of climate expert insights. Um, so watch this space. Thanks again to Florian. And thank you to everybody watching. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. 